0: Welcome back to another episode of Freedomology, the podcast. My name is Julie Christensen, and I am your host. And my guest today is Camille Tucker, writer, director, and producer. Uh, She is passionate about empowering women and BIPOC artists in front of and behind the camera. She is a Sundance alum and has sold scripts to major studios such as Sony, Universal, New Line Cinema, Fox TV, and Disney. And she's worked with A list producers like Robert De Niro, Jane Rosenthal, Stacey Snyder, Mark Platt, Deborah Chase, and the late John Singleton. In 2019, Camille was a finalist and the drama alternate in the Walt Disney Television Writing Program. In 2018, she was a participant in the Producers Guild of America Power of Diversity Workshop. Camille is the co writer of the Lifetime panel's hit movie, The Clark Sisters, The First Ladies of Gospel. Listen, if y'all haven't seen it, find a way to see it, okay? Just buy yourself a DVD and treat yourself. You need to watch this movie. So this movie was executive produced by Queen Latifah and has had over 13 million viewers and for which she was nominated for an NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Writing. Currently, Camille is a fellow in the Sony Pictures TV Diverse Writers Program, and writing a biopic for LeBron James's Spring Hill Entertainment in Disney Plus. Camille is repped by Management 360. And I will tell you what, I am excited to have, I always say I'm excited, but listen, <laughs> the truth, okay? It doesn't thank take you. Much exciting, Thank you I for that wonderful it. introduction. Thank you, thank you, Julie. <laughs> So good to have you with me. Camille is my sister from another mister. We I
1: know we it's met so a few years here.
0: ago, and uh, we just we just clicked, right? So it's it's been wonderful to know her. I was just like so thrilled when the Clark sisters went to air and we were able to watch uh, that. That was two years ago, Easter. Yes, of it's hard to believe. It's been two yeah. years. It's crazy. So Camille, tell us a little bit about your journey, particularly the early years, you know, like a lot of times we see people when they're successful, right? Or when they're like attaining the pinnacle of their success. We don't know the backstory, but the backstory is really what sort of like feeds me. So I would love to learn a little bit about what led you to choose writing as a career. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that journey.
1: Yeah, that definitely wasn't a straight line. (laughs) That's for sure. But when I was a girl, I thought I wanted to be an actress. So, and I had a momager <laughs> and I went out for a lot of commercials and actually auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club, if you can believe that. Wow. <laughs> one, they kept doing a new one every you know, generation and I didn't get it, but I did audition. <laughs> it's so funny now because you'll hear like Britney Spears or different people like they were originally the Mickey Mouse Club. Well, I auditioned. Okay. I did all the plays in school, the musicals. I was one of the theater kids and I always knew that I loved the arts, but from the time I was about 12, I was writing also. And my mother is a novelist. So I think there's a writing gene in my family, but I saw her writing And I started writing poetry and you know how you're a kid, like you get an assignment for school or something, you come home, mom, look at this. she was just like, you're a genius. (laughs) Of course, as mothers do, we post this up on the refrigerator, but her faith in my writing or her encouragement kept me going. I was like, Oh, let me keep writing. And so my first meeting was poetry. When I got into high school, We had a Black History Month, which we're about to enter here in the United States. February Black History Month, and I remember a few years as a student, them tabbing me to write like a short play that would be performed by the students of African descent at my school. So I had written some little plays, and then when I went to UCLA, I was a theater arts major. Okay, mind you, because I'm thinking I'm going to be an actress. I love, you know, acting playing parts, getting deep into these characters and these roles. And something happened. I really, I don't even know if I know what it was, but I started taking the acting classes as an undergraduate at UCLA here in the Los Angeles area. A great school, one of the top schools in the world. But somehow I started gravitating more toward the writing. I, on a lark, submitted a collection of my poetry, To the English department for a poetry contest, and I won. I won the whole contest. (laughs) And I really think from that moment, something affirmed me as a writer, and I switched over to a creative writing major. And so for me, maybe this might be helpful to someone. I thought I was going to do one thing, they were somewhat related. They were both creative. Writers can act, and actors can write. But there was a definitive shift in college when someone said, you're good enough to do this, I think, you know, and they they didn't say that, but that's how I interpreted at the time when I won the contest, like I can actually do this. And so I started really deeply getting into writing at that point. And from there, never turned back. But when I graduated from college, I got a job at Walt Disney Studios in the department where you read the scripts and you see those projects coming in before they're even made. And I was just in love. I just knew that I wanted to write film and television and I haven't really looked back. So I would say for anybody just kind of trying to figure out your passion, sometimes it isn't a straight line. And sometimes what you love can be closely related and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to give up something that you did before. Every now and then I'll do some acting or a cameo or something like that and something that I've created which allows me to, you know, exercise that acting muscle every now and then. But, but that's how I got into writing. That's so interesting.
0: You know, you and I have had lots of conversations about the things that we have in common. Yes. Um, and, you know, like, I love that your mom was a writer and that she encouraged you. And I, you know, as you were telling that story, I could see my mom's face going, oh, this is really good. You know, <laughs> she used to do the same. She was a writer as well. And I also started out writing poetry. I I know. We've been like, what? We're Wonder Twins. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I love that you found that thing that really fed your passion. Yeah. And you stuck with it. I think too many times people, myself included, like true confessions, (laughs) find the thing that they're really passionate about, but there are voices, you know, that speak into your life that say, well, you know, how are you going to make a living doing that? And and who do you think you are? You know, you're, do you think you're the the next? That's Scott Fitzgerald, you know, or, you know, it's Virginia, Woolf. Well, who are you, right? And so you have all of these voices saying, well, maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you won't be able to, to do this. Well, maybe you should just do it as a hobby and get a real job. You know, that's always, whenever you want to do something creative, people are always saying, well, maybe you should get a real job as yeah. though what you're doing isn't, Valid enough, yeah. not valuable enough to earn you an income. So, what do you say to that?
1: I have an interesting take on that because, and this will speak to, to something. So, I am not only a writer, but I'm a professor. And as you know, for the last seven years, and I recently resigned from being a professor, I was a full time professor and also a writer. My take on that definitely is to not give in to the voices that would doubt what your heart is longing for and what you're passionate about. But one thing I've always told my students, and it was based on my real life experience, was that I think that everyone should have a tent making job. And by that, I mean, when, when we look, um, if you go biblical at Paul and the disciples, while they were passionately going out, I mean, even before Paul, Peter and uh, John and James, and they were, many of them were fisher, fishermen. So they were fishermen and that's kind of how they, they like put the fish on the table. (laughs) You know, that's how they, (laughs) they paid their, their bills, so to speak. So I always encourage artists, you know, and, and you've heard of it many times, the actor who's working as a waiter. And then one day they become Jennifer Aniston or they become, you know, Brad Pitt or what have you. You meet them when they're young. And I know that those decisions can be hard. And I think that we're in a changing culture. So it doesn't always have to be that you have to be a server at a restaurant or what have you. A lot of people now are getting into tech and doing different things. And in order to make money, some people are influencers, you know, they're actually able to make a living. Maybe they want to do film and TV, but they might be on YouTube being able to make enough money to sustain themselves. But I always feel that when you are developing your art or developing your craft, it's difficult if you're worried about paying your bills. So while you and I have had those conversations about that, I wouldn't say it's negating that passion or saying I'm not good enough, I can't do this, what have you. But I do feel that there are sometimes certain professions that are a little bit more concrete in terms of what the requirements are for getting the job and then also more reliable and stable than it is being an artist. So I think that oftentimes when someone first graduates from college or what have you, you really have to look at, okay, how am I going to pay my bills while I am pursuing my art while I am pursuing my passion? And so I think it's, it's important to have a sober conversation with oneself about that and come up with a game plan for that. For me, it was education. And it wasn't that it was education like, oh, I don't like teaching. I'm only doing that. I truly love teaching. Teaching is in my DNA. There are so many teachers in my family. I prefer higher education to more so than like preschooler. I don't know if I could deal with a bunch of yeah, 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 I feel that. I like people who can have an intellectual conversation with me. <laughs> but before I, I skipped over a part, which was before I got that job at Disney, I was actually a substitute teacher. Oh, okay. I was a substitute teacher for one year, right after I graduated from UCLA and in the States. And I don't know if you have this in Canada, but there, we have a thing called an emergency credential where you don't have to have your master's in teaching or your teaching credential, but you can get a short-term credential. And on my father's advice, that's what I did. I got a short-term credential. I taught doing one day, one week, two week, four month assignments while I was looking for a job in the entertainment industry to fuel that passion that I had for writing and creating. So that took passion. It took kind of a strategy. It took continuing to believe in the dream, but also realizing that you can't create when you can't. Turn on the lights. You know, if you if you're worried about the lights going off or not being able to cook because gas won't work, you're not going to be able to create if you're an artist. So I really did strive for that balance. And I, I think that's important. So I would say to everyone, you know, I I like to counsel my students when I tell them when they're graduating, like, have a one-year plan, have a five-year plan, have a 10-year plan. Really visualize and see where do you want to be. For me, it was to be a thriving writing, a thriving TV and film writer and to be working on multiple shows and projects and collaborating with amazing, talented people. That was what my vision and my passion was. However, I knew that there were going to take certain there was going to need to be certain steps to get there. And part of that journey was teaching. And and let me say this, because I've accomplished so many of my dreams. And my life is kind of in two parts. When I worked at Disney, I was fortunate that after one or two years of becoming an assistant through a series of events and producing a short film with my former writing partner, I actually began to sell screenplays. And I fulfilled that dream and that vision. And it was like all of those people in my bio that it mentioned that I worked with, I worked with so many of those incredible people. And a few years after that, my writing partner and I decided that we had, you know, kind of come to the end of the road in our writing partnership while we remained friends. And there was kind of a lull in my writing and selling capability. So I wasn't really selling all of those scripts because I had to reconfigure myself. I had to rebrand myself now as no longer part of a team. And when that happened. I went back to teaching because there was a period in which, okay, I have to write some new scripts and some new material on my own, not with a partner. And I need a little moment here to reconfigure and figure out like, who is Camille as a solo writer? What is Camille's voice? And so that same tent making job, which I love, was what I went back to. And I have one last thing to say about that. For some people who think, Well, you know, like if you work in another job that can kind of detract you from your dream or it can maybe slow you down or this or that. And I feel that everybody's journey is different. Some people may not have that journey, but I will say this, working in other professions aside from the artistic profession, I believe is so important to artistic inspiration yeah. Because so many stories and life experiences have been funneled into my writing and my ideas. And so I think every artist cannot negate the inspiration that comes from everyday things. People that you meet, experiences that you have. I mean, you're a writer, but you're also a psychotherapist. And so I know that there's so much in your life experience that has informed your writing or even just stimulated an idea. And so that's something else I would add to there's no shame in working other professions or learning something different because I feel that they are all it, it all works together.
0: Yeah, so good. I love that point. It you know, it's true that Sometimes we feel like when, you know, and people mean well, right? People mean well, they, they don't mean to belittle your choices or to minimize your passion when they say you need to get a real job, but that's what it feels like oftentimes, right? But yeah, a job is a job is a job. And you are absolutely right that everything we do, every experience that we have informs our ability To whether it's work as a psychotherapist, you know, stuff that's happened to me, stuff that's happened to my friends, whatever things I've experienced in other jobs. I can take that and I can apply that information in my role as a psychotherapist. But absolutely, I can also apply that information in my role as a writer. And so, you know, having that diversity of experience and being strategic, I think that's the that's the key thing. And for those of you who have listened to last season and listened to the shows in this previous in this season already, You've heard me say this before that you are the CEO of your own career. And if yeah. you're the CEO of your own career, then when you apply that strategy and you say, hey, I'm going to take this job because I need to pay the bills, but I'm not going to lose, I'm not going to lose sight of my end goal, of what my real passion is, that's how you move forward and you build that momentum. What yes. happens though sometimes is we get stuck. And, oh, but the pay pay is good and the benefits are good. And this pension, you know, and then people start asking you to serve on committees and then you get busy. And now you, while you want to use that money to help you so that you can move forward in your craft, you no longer have time. Yeah. So that's why the strategy is important, right? To be able to, um, to stay focused and not sort of get sucked in to all yes. the other things that, that might be coming at yes. you. But remember that you are in charge of your career. And so you get to decide how you're going to structure that so that you can get to where you want to go.
1: Absolutely. And the job doesn't always have to be like a quote unquote career job because you're so right. You know, some people, I have a friend who's a screenwriter and before his career really took off, you know, he was a host at a restaurant or he was a manager. I'm sorry. He was a manager at a restaurant. But the thing that he loved about that was just like, when you leave, you don't take work with you. You're not asked to, I mean, obviously, you know, he had hours that he had to work at the restaurant, but it, he didn't take any work with him. So he could purely be in his writing. I have some friends who I know, and this is typical, they were baristas at coffee shops and possibly even met some professional writers who could help them with their career <laughs> and when the conversation came up. But one thing about, say, Starbucks or Apple is they do have health insurance. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but it um, is, yeah. here, when, if you work for like Starbucks or Apple, uh, you get that health insurance as well. And you can still work on your writing. So it really, it really just depends on where you feel like you're being led. Come up with a strategy. And as you said, keep protect a space for your creative endeavor, whatever that is, or your true passion, whether it's having your own business or whatever, and make sure to invest a little time in it, you know, bit by bit every week. Yes, absolutely. So can we fast forward? Because you've
0: got, I mean, you've got so many amazing stories, and we could probably talk for hours, but I know that you've got something coming up after this, so I want to be respectful of your time. So can we fast forward to, let's call it the era of the Clark Sisters, because, you know, the Clark Sisters didn't just get written, sold, produced, and and put to air. So can you tell us a little bit about that journey to the Clark Sisters coming to to fruition?
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you you had mentioned earlier, you were telling people to get the Clark Sisters. I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but it is available on Amazon. Yes, it is. I've looked. I've looked. It is. It's available on Amazon. You can $3.99 US and buy it for $9.99 US. So, but a shameless plug. So. I'm sure the, and I know, and it's so cool that you guys have a thriving film industry there in Canada and as well, you know, we have one here, but what a lot of people don't understand about the film industry here is that oftentimes projects we see that become critical and commercial successes that people love have been in the oven for quite a while, baking in the oven for quite a while. And the Clark sisters is no different. So in 2005, a producer uh, came to me, uh, Holly Carter, and asked uh, myself and a friend, Sarah Finney Johnson, who's a TV writer, that she created Moesha, co created Moesha and the Parkers and a number of shows. She's amazing. We got on board in 2005 to create a pitch. So, in other words, we were verbally going out for if anybody, whether you're pitching a business proposal or pitching a project should know what that is. We had not written a script, but we were pitching a project. Hey, we want to do a biopic about these amazing five sisters from Detroit. And here's the story of their lives. There were some nibbles, but there was no, nobody was 100% in. And 2005 is what? Oh, it we're 13 years ago or something like that. We're 22 um, now, so I was that 17. Is that 17? Oh, yeah, is it? Okay, yeah. Yeah, there, here you go. There are Lord have mercy. <laughs> 17 <laughs> years ago, yeah, coming on, yeah, almost 20 years. So 17 years ago. So nobody bought it. And then the project went dormant for a few years. And then a few years later, Holly would call and say, hey, if somebody else is interested. Let's pitch it again. We'd pitch it again. Nobody bought it. Then in 2017, Queen Latifah had the Clark sisters on her show because at the time she had a daytime show. She loves them. They serenaded her for her birthday. She found out that there was a project in the works and she got on board and became an igniter for so much to start to happen. At that point, my friend Sarah was booked on another TV show so could not move forward on the project. And I was hired by Queen Latifah's company to write the first drafts of the script. So we go from 2005 to 2017, which was actually 12 years later, yeah, <laughs> 12 yeah. years, to it finally getting ignited and then me getting hired to write the script. And then several, maybe several years after that, it was brought to Lifetime and Lifetime worked with another amazing writer, Sylvia Jones, for some subsequent drafts. And the script went into production in Canada. (laughs) So, I mean, that was the process. And what I think another word that I used or a word that I used earlier was patience. All of that while I couldn't be uh, sitting at home on my thumbs being like, what's happening with the Clark sisters? I love that project. Why isn't it getting made? Because we work it for an entertainment It is a business like any other business, you know, and it has seasons, sometimes something that may be a great idea, or you think is a great idea at some point, it might not be the right season. So 2005, the market couldn't bear or was not interested in the Clark sisters, 2017 with a slightly different package and and an amazing producer who's done a number of projects through her production company comes on board. And all of a sudden things started happening. That was one project that taught me a lot about patience, about understanding how to how it's more attractional when you package projects and try to collaborate with more experienced producers. And so then the, fi- the project finally happened. I wrote possibly three or four drafts of the script before it was ready to take out to the market. So it was definitely a process. And the interesting thing is I was getting a second degree when all of this was happening. I was getting my MFA in screenwriting of all things at Loyola Marymount, so <laughs> there was a lot on my plate, but, but yeah, I mean, what do you think about that? You know, I, I'm, I'm really curious,
0: what was it like when you finally got to screen the movie, like when it was done? What did that feel like inside? Because I, I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, as we're, this show is a lot about passion and purpose. You know, yeah. I, I believe in living a life that is full of passion and that fulfills the purpose that was meant for your life. Yeah. And sometimes, like you say, that journey is a long one. It's a, you know, sometimes it's a really long one. We're talking 12 years. Before someone showed interest enough for you to be able to move forward and write something on it. That's a long time for something to be sitting in the oven, like you say, and just sort of slowly rising until it's ready to bake. So what was that like for you, that moment when you finally got to sit down and to screen the finished version? What did that feel like? Because I know what I what I felt like watching it and knowing that you had accomplished this thing. And I was just like. Bursting,
1: you know. I was bursting deep. too. It was euphoric. I was ecstatic. Uh, I was with my family, and when I saw my name come on the screen, we all. Ah! We all was doing the same. Like, ah! <laughs> my mother, there you are. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. What child doesn't want their parent to see their name someplace, or maybe not see your name, but just see the fruit. Of your passion, the fruit of your labor. So that was that was like the most exciting moment, and I think I took screenshots (laughs) with my cell phone. I was like, "Oh, I want to capture this moment," and I'm like grabbing my cell phone, like trying to get the screenshot when my name was on there. So it felt really great. But I also want to add something to what you said. You were talking about the patience and the twelve. We were talking about the twelve years. I do want to clarify. That, you know, um, during those 12 years, I was developing other projects as well. I was a full time professor, as I mentioned before, I was uh, I went back and got another degree to master screenwriting. So I feel like when you are an artist, something I've kind of learned is sometimes, you know, people might hold on to one project and they're like, if this doesn't happen, that's like the end of my life. And that I've kind of learned for me is not true, as you and I have had this conversation. We're both women of faith. I'm a believer in God. I feel like there's an abundance of so many ideas and projects and things. And so while I can be passionate and I can be proud about the projects that I've worked on, I try not to limit myself and and think you know that this is the only thing. So I was working on and developing and refining a number of different projects. And some of those are now coming to fruition now. But I did want to emphasize that I think that because of timing, sometimes it's just not the right timing for something. So and also the other thing that I wanted to add about that moment when I was bursting seeing the Clark sisters come on. Sometimes people think that they are alone. And sometimes we think that we are an island. You know, in film, they talk about the auteur theory that one person has this amazing vision and makes everything happen. And collaboration is so important. And I want to stress that I believe writing and filmmaking, specifically TV and film, are such collaborative mediums. And while you have, you know, everybody has to be excited and passionate and good at what they do. So it takes a lot of people to help make it happen. And with the Clark sisters, Queen Latifah coming on board and Mary J. Blige and Missy Elliott, three dynamic women, three dynamic Black women who are also musical artists, lending their name, their talent, their support. And when the project started going, our director, Christine Swanson, who's an amazing director, who's, award-winning coming on board and the actress ingenue ellis who oh played God. dr maddie moss clark and the actresses that played the daughters so what i see there is you kind of had really a phenomenon which is a phenomenon excuse me a project in which all of the key people above the line talent the top bill talent so to speak were all black women That doesn't mean every, you know, great project is all black women. It's just that it's so rare. And we were all so committed. So when I was screaming and so excited to see what I had done, it was also because of all of the people that I knew that were equally committed to excellence with this project. And I know the blood, sweat and tears that they had put into it. And I was so proud of that. Yes. I was really, really proud of our collaboration and bringing this baby, so to speak, birthing this baby and giving it to the world and the world saying, what a cute baby. <laughs> we like this baby, you know, and that yes. was a great feeling.
0: For sure. I mean, I understand that as, as a full-time writer, professor doing all the things that you're doing, you, you were not sitting idle. And, you know, I... dare say, I may take this out, but I'm going to say it anyway. I dare say that there is sort of a mindset today that things should come to, to you easy. You know, if it doesn't come easy, it's not meant to be. And, you know, I hear that a lot, like even just rolling through my reels, you know, all of these meditations about abundance, everything comes to me easily. Well, no, not all the time. Like sometimes you need, to, you need to work. You need to be patient. You need to do that one step in front of an, of another, you need to do your due diligence and you need to stick to it. You know, in my church when my husband and I were youth leaders, we used to do an award ceremony every year that we called the stickability awards. Mm you know and that's that's what you need you need stickability if you're going to get through high school you need stickability if you're going to get good grades if you're going to be on a roll if you're going to get into the college or the university that that you want you can't just sit on your thumbs and expect it to come to you you've got to do the work right yeah. and so sometimes it, it does feel like you say like we're an island to ourselves and we're just we're slogging yeah. away and it's really lonely you know sometimes when you're in that creative space it does get really lonely but again this is where good friends and people you can trust, your mom, your brother, are both, both authors, you know, but other people in your life, those people in your circle that are part of your tribe. That's when you, you reach out to them and you make connections and maybe you just, you don't even say I'm, I'm going through a rough time right now. You just say, can you come meet me for coffee? Right. Yes. Like, let's just, let's just go have a coffee. I need to get out of that space and just sort of recalibrate my brain. And that's okay. But if you want to see that success in your life, if you want to see your passion play out, then sometimes you do have to, while something over here is on the back burner, you've got to keep moving, right? You've got to keep moving forward if you want to see that momentum eventually build and culminate into something amazing.
1: Yeah. And just because something's not happening doesn't mean it's a red light. It could just mean it's just not the right timing. Exactly.
0: So speaking of timing, let's talk about the decision that you made. Again, something that you and I have in common. Uh, I also worked in academia for seven years, actually a little bit longer than seven years, but I was seven years as an adjunct professor at George Brown College before I finally said, I can't do this anymore. Like I have (laughs) to, I have to give something up. It's got to be this. So talk to us a little bit about what that decision was like for you in saying, you know what, as much as I love teaching, and I do, I do too, I love teaching. I miss it. I don't miss the two hour or three hour commute. I, <laughs> I miss, you know, speaking into the lives of my students. So what was that like for you to take that leap?
1: Yeah, it was when the Clark sisters came out and it got so much critical acclaim and great response and reception there was kind of a groundswell and a lot of things started clicking for me. A lot of things that had been seeds planted previously started to bear fruit. And so it was about a year long process because the Park sisters aired in 2020 and I resigned in 2021. So over that year, a number of things were happening. That was when I got my manager's I had written another script before, a script where you and I intersected and things just really started clicking. And I was grading papers and teaching three to four classes a semester. And my managers and the people that were working with me were like, what is your next project? Let's invest some time in writing some new scripts. And at some point, it just became untenable. It, It was I was sleeping like two hours a night, in you know, in order to keep up the work of doing a lot of the grading because I also teach in a medium where you have a lot of. I teach. I taught screenwriting, so the students were turning in scripts and that those were their quote unquote papers. But was reading a lot of other scripts. If you have you know ten to twenty students in a class and you're teaching uh, four classes that's about 40 or 50 students who could be writing weekly short assignments. And for me, I just felt myself, I had no, I I. I was almost like, there's a birthday party on Saturday. Can you come? No, <laughs> I can't. I have papers to grade and I have a writing assignment I'm doing. And I looked up and I had no extra time. And in terms of work-life balance, which is something we all have to consider at some point i just realized i had no work life balance and i felt the urging in my spirit we talked about spiritual things before that this was the time and to take that leap of faith and i was scared i was kind of scared i was i was like you know being a professor is it's it's very predictable your salary's predictable your health care is there all of that's very predictable but i just felt the, the felt the rumbling in my stomach or that gut feeling or what have you. And I did it in May of 2020. And I haven't looked back. It's been so exciting. It, it was almost like, you know, how when you're skiing and you just take off and you're just going down the hill and you're like, whoa, it was like that. So I immediately booked some writing jobs and had other offers and things. And it, it just, it took me. It felt like you know what you did the right thing. Yes, you had that immediate confirmation that that. Was the I had, best had that you. immediate confirmation that by booking these jobs, by my getting some positive reception to some script that I had written myself, it was like you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and I I think that that is a natural progression of laying the foundation, doing the work educating yourself, bettering yourself, like all the things that you did, right? That there's, you know, those, those principles of momentum apply, even when it comes to the intangible stuff, right? Like there comes a point in time where, you know, I, I tend to describe those kinds of leaps of faith as, you know, falling backwards over a cliff, the terror that comes yeah. to pass. But also the confidence Mm -hmm. that God's hand is there to catch you, you know, like knowing that if he is pushing you, if you're feeling that constant urging, you know, for people who are not necessarily of the Christian faith or whatever it is that you believe, but knowing that something is pushing you, right? Like urging you to make that move. And when you do it, it is a terrifying experience, but at the same time, incredibly liberating.
1: Terrifying, but liberating. And I feel like if it's the right move, you feel an immediate release after you do it and you do get a confirmation. And that's why, you know, when you were talking about earlier, like I don't ever try to push on a door that seems like, no, this door is closed to you. This is not happening. But sometimes it does take a greater leap of faith or work, or it's not going to always be so easy. But Even taking that terrifying move and feeling all of those feelings, I am so grateful that I did it because now I'm sort of seeing what it's like to be a full-time writer and more opportunities and more writing jobs have come to me. And what I think now and what I thought back and I was reflecting, I reflect at the end of every year. And I do goals. I don't do New Year's resolutions, but I do New Year's goals. And similar to what I said earlier about telling people, do one-year goals, five-year goals, 10-year goals. I often do those and I, re- and I renew them as well. But when I was doing that, I looked back, I said, what if I had been teaching right now? My brain would have been exploding. I mean, it was bad before. I can't even imagine it. I probably would have been in the hospital. Yeah. So I don't regret it at all because with the level of activity that I had since I had left, there was no way that I would have been able to do that and continue teaching it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, but I'm checking the time and I see we've only got a few more minutes. So let's talk about the faith and the freedom that comes with living your purpose. So it takes a certain amount of faith, like you just talked about, like taking that leap to, to go forward and say, okay, I'm going to do this thing because I feel like it's the only way that I can go forward. But let's talk about the freedom that comes from living your purpose and how does that manifest for you?
1: Well, I feel that faith and freedom are the opposite of fear. And even though I have many of my own fears, my own doubts, my own insecurities, when I, I look out you know into the world and I look at other people's stories or assess, assess where people have done well in history or where there have been, where people maybe have not done exactly what they wanted, one thing that was really clear to me is I never wanted to be a person who had fear. And so you mentioned earlier, you can maybe jump off the cliff, not really off the cliff, but let's say you jump out of a plane and you have the parachute. You know the parachute's going to go off, and I feel that that for me personally, as a believer, as a Christian, as a woman of faith, that God's hand is going to always be there for me. So it's a constant working on my relationship with God, whether you call him higher power, you know, whatever your faith you believe. But for me, it's God, of getting deeper and deeper in knowing that I will never regret making a decision to do what I believe is following what God's calling is for me. Uh And I get more strength by that. And I feel like there's every time when I make a certain decision and I actually see and feel the blessings, the results of it, it gives me more confidence, more faith, more strength to know. And I, I, I think that, One thing I've learned and one thing that I'm really, really working on now because I've had different seasons of it in my life is prayer and meditation. And you mentioned earlier, I mean, it really doesn't matter what faith you are or no faith to meditate because in contemplation, when I slow down and that goes back to the whole patience thing, that's where I get clarity. When I'm clear on something, like when I meditated, I meditated and thought about that decision of leaving being a professor before I did it. When I'm very clear and certain, when I feel an internal peace because of the clarity that the meditation and the thought and the prayers and the process has given me, then I can do it in confidence. So for me, my relationship with God, as I mature as a woman, and as I go through this thing called life, Is just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And, you know, while I made many mistakes as a young woman, I feel that I have the opportunity now in contemplation, in quiet time, in prayer and meditation to not make as many mistakes, not make as many irrational decisions or do something that I don't feel confident about. And I've also kind of learned that It's not a matter of like what people think of me on the outside or, you know, social media is so big right now. It's not like what somebody's tweeting or not tweeting or what I'm saying or doing or whatever. It's really that inner conversation that I have with my creator. And if I'm good with that, then I find that everything else falls into place.
0: So amazing. So amazing. Oh my gosh. I've been taking notes <laughs> as, we was, as we've been talking because I've got some great takeaways here that that I know will, will stay with me and I'll share them with the audience as well towards the end of the show. But I know that you have to go. So I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. I I love you so much. I am so grateful That the stars aligned, that you know, that God thing that happened when you called me that day, that we were able to connect. And uh, I appreciate you so much, and uh, I'm so grateful that we've been able to have this conversation today.
1: Thank you, and I love you too, Julie. You are a gem, and we have some things that we're working on, and I'm very excited about them. And people will be hearing more cool things from us. But you are just so precious, and. I am just honored to be able to spend this little time with you and to share with your listeners. And uh there's so much they can learn from you too. So oh, thank you, my friend. <laughs> anyway, thank, thank you, friend. you. Love you much, girl. And Camille I Tucker. Camille Tucker,
0: everybody. She is just an amazing human being. Last thing, Camille, tell people how they can find you, whether they want to follow your social media or they'd like to learn more about you, perhaps to hire you for a writing gig or whatever. Where do they find you on the interweb?
1: Thank you. On Instagram, I'm at Camille Tuck, C A M I L L E T U C. You can follow me there. And on Twitter, my handle is Script Lit Chick. Script and then L I T and then Chick, because I'm a chick. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, those are my two main platforms. And I do have a website, which is basically just CamilleTucker.com. So, yeah, that's where you can get the updates and they can always also get updates from you. But thank you so much for having me today, Julie.
0: Wonderful. Thanks so much. God bless
1: you. Have a wonderful afternoon. I
0: know it's still afternoon there in L.A. And uh, we will be in touch. But that's Camille Tucker, everyone. Thank her. And, and please go follow her Instagram, her Twitter. Check out her website. You'll You'll want to watch what she's doing. Big things are coming in store. Thanks, Camille. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Freedomology. Please reach out to me. Let me know how you're enjoying the show. Do you have any suggestions for us? Any guests that you'd love for us to interview? You can share your feedback, thoughts, and comments with us on our Instagram page at leverage underscore you. That is leverage underscore you. While we appreciate open, honest communication, we please ask that you keep your comments respectful. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Until next time, this is your host, Julie Christensen, saying farewell, be well, and live well. Thanks for listening to Freedomology.